0: What a powerful, powerful song. All I could think of was that verse, I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I'm so glad it doesn't depend on me. It's on the blood of Christ. I fail him and I sin daily and I'm so thankful that, listen, if you're trusting in the church, the church didn't shed any blood for you. Your sins are not washed away. If you're trusting in some idol, some being good works, being a good person, none of that shed any blood for you. None of that can wash away your sins. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Uh, Praise the Lord. What a great song. I I remember that song, Lighthouse True. You sing that song in Temple Tones before them. And uh, Doc Strachan nearly had a fit every time. Great, great song, great message. Praise the Lord for it. Well, we're praying for a couple others as well today. John Coburn had surgery on Thursday. It went well. We were able to pick him up uh, Friday and bring him home. And tomorrow he'll go out back and he has some shunts in his nose. They, they said that your throat, the normal throat, is supposed to be between the size of a quarter. Or, or Sorry, your uh, your breathing track is supposed to be between the size of a quarter and a loony. So, you know, around that big round. His was about the size of a dime. And so they said, you know, if there's ever any trauma and it swells at all, you're in a lot of trouble if you've got strep throat even or something. It could shut off his breathing real quick. So they were able to open that up and, and uh, his airways. And so he's uh, hoping to feel a whole lot better. He says breathing through his mouth already, uh, he feels so much better. He can get more air. He was having to sleep with a forced air machine at night. They push the air into him. And, and so that should be resolved, they're hoping. And so he'll get the, the packing out of his nose tomorrow. And hopefully it's healed up enough that he'll be ready to go. And so be in prayer for John. And I, 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 these folks never say anything. But I want you to pray for Ray and Bonnie Austin. and they've, they've had some health issues throughout the winter. And I was just talking to Bonnie before uh, the service. Ray's having problems with his lung again. And so would you, would you pray for them? I'm not going to give too many details. Uh, you can ask them if you would like. But um, uh, they, they're so quiet about it. But we need to remember to bear one another's burdens and pray for one another. And so would you pray for the Austins as well? John chapter 16. All of our songs this morning had to do with the promises of God. Rejoice in the Lord, he makes no mistakes. We can trust in his sovereign will for our lives. And then we sang, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life for those who put their trust in him. And of course, we sang, Standing on the promises of Christ my King. And this morning we're going to look at John chapter 16 in our Portraits of Christ series Jesus the Promise Giver. Jesus the promise giver. If you would read with me just the first few verses and then we'll pray and we'll move on to our message this morning. These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. How do you like that for a promise so far? They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Let's pray together. Father, (laughs) we do remember those that have been mentioned this morning already. Those that have been sick and struggling. The Biggs family, Brother Vernis, Brother Austin, Brother Coburn. Lord, there's others. We know that Judy Judge was very, very sick throughout the night and resting now pray that you touch her as well. Lord, there's others here. I'm sure many are private and quiet. We thank you for those that have been sick and those that we've been praying for that are back with us today. Lord, we know that you're the great physician. We just pray, Lord, that you'd help us now as we look to the scripture. Father, may we see another portrait of Christ as the promise giver. Father, the first six verses we've read, the, the promises are dark and grim. But Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ is about to bless us with things that we could never hope for beyond all of our imaginations. So, Father, as we examine the rest of the chapter and we see the promises that Christ left his disciples, may it help us and encourage our hearts today to claim them. Father, we need your help. May the Spirit of God come and speak to us. Fill me, I pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that most importantly, we'd be pleasing to you today. It may not tickle ears, it may not be in with enticing words, but may it be in the power of the Spirit that you would speak to each one of us. May you receive all the glory from your word today. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You'll remember from last week that we are in the last week of Jesus' life. About a third of the book of John is dedicated to that last week. In John chapter 13, Jesus rides triumphantly into Jerusalem in John chapter 14, he meets with his disciples in the upper room, and there he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. We read, I go to prepare a place for you. We read, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 15 and 16, he begins to teach them and preach to them. In John chapter 15, the Bible refers back to it in the first verse of John chapter 16. He says, these things have I spoken unto you, past tense, He's referring back to John chapter 15 when he spoke to them about hatred, persecution, and rejection. You'll remember last week we talked about Jesus the rejected Savior, and we talked about the hatred that Christ understood and felt and the persecution that, that came upon him on a, on a daily basis, everywhere he went. He he, you know, we sometimes wonder: does that person like me or not? And, and Jesus knew because he could see to the heart those that hated him. And it was a great majority. And he says, because they hated me, because they persecuted me, they'll do the same to you. He's preparing them. And in chapter 16, he says, these things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. The word "offense," offended in the Bible means to draw away from. We, 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 we're, so, we're so weak today spiritually that we think the, the word offense means to hurt our feelings. Well, you offended me. And we cry and our feelings are hurt. The word offend literally means to lead somebody into sin. You've offended them because you've drawn them away from Jesus Christ. Young people, when you're out with your friends and, and they're tempting, you say, Hey, listen, it's okay to have just a little drink. It's okay just to, listen, don't offend that person. Don't draw them away from Jesus Christ. Hey, it's okay to skip church. We're just going to have some fun. Listen, don't offend that person. Be careful. It's okay to be a little bit physical. No, no, let's not offend somebody. Let's not draw them away from the relationship with Jesus Christ, the teachings of God's word. So he says, I want to prepare you. You need to know that this is coming so that you're prayed up. That you're in the word, that you're studying, that you're that you're preparing your heart and you're putting on the armor of God so that when these attacks come, you're not offended. You see, the disciples had a history of being offended. You'll remember the Bible says when the Lord Jesus Christ was taken in the garden, the Bible says they forsook him and fled. They were offended. They watched from afar. They couldn't bring themselves. They, they hid in the upper room for fear of the Jews. They were offended. They went back to fishing when God had called them to be fishers of men. But finally, when the Holy Spirit came, those disciples went all over the world and preached the gospel and gave their very lives for the cause of Christ. Christ. The Bible talks about this offense in verse 2. It says, They shall put you out of the synagogue's Yea, The time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God a service. In Acts chapter 8 and 9, we read a very, uh, of the very thing, don't we? Paul, breathing out threatenings and slaughterings, was dragging Jews out of their homes and hauling them off to be killed and to put into prison. Prophecy was fulfilled in the life of Saul who would meet the Lord on the road to Damascus and become Paul, the great evangelist that we read about through most of the New Testament. The Bible goes on in verse 3, and says, And these things will they do unto you. Why? Because they have not known the Father or me. Do you know that knowledge of Jesus Christ changes a person? He says they, they behave this way because they don't know Christ. We have to be careful that when we behave that way, when we persecute brethren, we are acting like the world. We are acting like people who don't know Christ. Now, John continues and says, These things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you ask of me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Understand that these prophecies of doom and gloom and these things that were about to happen, the hatred, the the persecutions, the rejection, the being cast out of the synagogues and being killed for the name of Jesus Christ had overwhelmed them so much that for a moment they forgot that Jesus was leaving. That was the point of this assembly. That was why Jesus gathered his disciples one last time. He'd come into Jerusalem and gathered in that upper room and got just his disciples together to prepare them that he was leaving. told them some wonder thing, wonderful things, didn't he? He says, "I'm leaving, but the reason I'm leaving is because I go to prepare a place for you." And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there may be also. He also said, it's expedient for you that I must go. For if I not go, the comforter will not come. He says, I must go that the Holy Spirit would come and be unto you a comfort. And so he's trying to comfort them, but in the midst of it, he says, let's just stop for a minute. And let's just talk about what's going to happen. Many of you are going to give your lives for my name. Sorrow overwhelmed them. But you know, the Lord Jesus Christ is perceptive. He could look into their hearts and he could see the pain that they were feeling. And he even comments on it when he says, this, is, this, this sorrow has filled your heart so much that even when I say to you, I go away, I'm going away, it doesn't affect you. Because you're so worried about everything else. And so he gives them some promises. I I want to tell you today that I believe that the promises that Christ gave his disciples are still valid today. That Jesus Christ has given us these same promises. And as he's leaving his disciples and about to go up Mount Calvary and be crucified on the cross and shed that precious blood, he wants them to be comforted. He gives them these promises. The first one is this, the promise of the presence of Christ's Spirit, the presence of Christ's Spirit. Now, read with me in verse 7, if you will. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. I want you to notice about this presence of Christ's Spirit, Christ was giving them the promise that, yes, I must go away, but it's expedient that He shall come. The comforter will come. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ was a wonderful presence upon the earth. When he was with those disciples in the upper room, they understood what real love was all about. They saw the master stoop himself and wash the feet of each of those disciples. And I I can only imagine as they were sitting there in their chair, and Christ is stooped before them, all of their sins must have come to the forefront of their heart. I don't deserve this. Jesus Christ has been sinless and spotless. He is God's only Son. He is the Lamb of glory. He will one day take away the sins of the world. He is perfect, and yet He is washing the feet of a sinner. I imagine they would recount the last three, three and a half years and say, I never ever saw Jesus do anything wrong. I never saw Him be unkind to anybody. He never cussed. He never stole. He never cheated. He was sinless. I I mean, mean, we've just observed him and been in his presence all this time, and nothing can go against his character. And yet he washes my feet. You see, the presence of Christ would have been a, a wonderful thing, but do you know that when Christ was in the presence of those disciples, he wasn't in the presence of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he wasn't in the presence of others because he was God in the flesh. He was human. But you see when the Holy Spirit came, he would take up residence in everybody's heart. And everybody could know his presence. Every child of God that had put their faith in Jesus Christ and trusted in salvation through him would know the presence of Christ because he would come in the form of his Holy Spirit. He says it is expedient, that means it is good for you. This is a blessing. This is a bonus for you. That when I go away, the Spirit will come and He will go into the hearts and lives of every man that claims me as Savior. The Bible talks about the presence of Christ's Spirit. We need His presence, first of all, for comfort. Verse 7 calls Him the Comforter. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. The Comforter. He wanted to know, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ at that moment could have used many titles. He could have said, The Holy Spirit will come unto you. The disciples there with broken hearts, overwhelmed with the fear of the future and the persecution, and the hatred and the rejection and the kill and the murder that they would face. Well, okay, the Holy Spirit's coming. He might have said, The Holy Ghost is coming. But what they needed most at that moment was the comforter. They needed the paraclete, as it says in the Greek. They needed that one that the word paraclete means to come alongside and to embrace and uphold and to gird your strength. That's what the comforter is. He is there to give us peace and to give us love and to give us hope and to give us joy in the time of sorrow. That is what the comforter would do and Jesus Christ gave the promise of his spirit. Well, I'm I'm gonna tell you, I'm so glad that when Jesus saved me, he didn't just go to some far off place and sit at the right hand of the Father and intercede for me, but no, he put his Holy Spirit in my heart. He sealed me unto the day of redemption by God's Holy Spirit. I have, I have the assurance of salvation because the Holy Spirit of God bears witness with my spirit that I am his child, that I'm a part of his family. He, he took me and he baptized me into the family of God. He placed me into the care of the Father. That's what the Holy Spirit has done. And friends, that is a comfort. There are days where I get sorrowful. I've been to funerals just like you have. And I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit's presence to comfort me. That was one of the promises of Christ. We need the Spirit for comfort, we need the Spirit for correction. Look at the Bible says in verse 8: And when He has come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness. And of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, we wouldn't have the example of Christ on earth any longer. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The Bible says to preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. The Bible says for all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof. We need to be reproved from time to time. We don't like it. We don't like the, the reproving of the Holy Spirit that rebukes our heart. We, we call it conviction. Sometimes we call it a conscience. Listen, friends, the problem is with the conscience, the further we get from Christ, the less our conscience affects us. But when we have the Holy Spirit of God reproving us, that is consistent and biblical and loving, and God says, no, you're sinning. Don't ever turn away from that small, still small voice. Don't ever rebuke the Spirit of God working in your life. Thank God for the reproof he gives. He corrects us in our sin. But the presence of Christ's Spirit was for comfort, for correction, but it was also for conduct. There's not just the negative side of reproof, but there's also the positive. Look at the Bible says in verse 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to help us with our conduct by teaching us guiding us into truth. It's wonderful that God rebukes our sin and reproves us in our sin, but it's also wonderful that he opens up the door and shows us, here's the way I want you to go. Here's the path you need to take. Here's the conduct I expect for your life. You know, it's sad today that a lot of Christians in a lot of churches say, boy, I, I love the preaching of Jesus and I love preaching on the love of Christ and I love the fact that Jesus saved me from my sin, but sure, I sure don't like preaching on standards and I don't like preaching on my conduct and I should just be able to, I'm a, I'm a child of God. I've got liberty and I've got I should be able to live however I want. Be careful. God wants to teach us about our conduct. Why should that surprise us? If you go get a job at McDonald's today, they're going to make you wear a hairnet, man. Not real masculine, is it? I, I went a, a few weeks ago there and I was getting a, a coffee and a muffin. I had to go somewhere early in the morning and on the way back I was getting a coffee and a muffin. Do you know you can get a coffee and a muffin for dollar $1.69 or something like that? It's a great deal. And the fellow that came to the window, it wasn't here in Simcoe, it was somewhere, I don't remember where I was, he opened that window and I guess he had a beard. So he had a hairnet that was around his ears and came down and covered his beard. The goofiest looking thing I ever saw. But I'm glad his chin whiskers weren't falling on my muffin. I'm, I'm thankful for that. But, and I thought, isn't it funny that Christians say, don't talk to me about conduct. But for minimum wage, people will wear funny hairnets and funny things on their face just to satisfy the standard for minimum wage. And it's silly, wear the goofiest looking uniforms. How many of you remember when McDonald's used to wear those funny hats? Kind of look like a sailor's cap or something. Boy, they'll, they'll, you'll do anything for a dollar. But what will we do for Christ? The Bible says, I, I want to I guide you into all truth. I want you to grow. I want you to understand what it's like. He says, When I was here on earth, he says, I was here and I was your example. He says, I'll reprove you of righteousness because I go to my Father. You see me no more. He says, You don't have anything to look for. You don't have a guide for righteousness, but the Holy Spirit's coming and he's going to guide you into all truth and he'll show you what righteousness is. But we must look down. The first promise we see in this passage is the promise of the presence of Christ's Spirit. Secondly, we have the promise of Christ's resurrection the promise of Christ's resurrection. Look at verse 16. Man, what a great promise. Look what it says in verse 16. A little while and ye shall not see me, and again a little while and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, what is this that he saith unto us? A little while and ye shall not see me, and again a little while and ye shall see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while. We cannot tell what he saith boy, they were having problems with the parables that Christ would speak in. But we can see the whole picture, can't we? We've read the back of the book. We know what Jesus Christ is speaking of. In a little while, you won't see me. Why? Because you'd be buried in a grave. But then he would rise again. And he makes reference here. He says, because I go to the Father. Do you remember when Jesus met Mary in the garden? and He said, Mary? And she turned and said, Master, and she went to embrace him. He says, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to my father. But then later that day, the disciples and Mary were all in an upper room and Jesus walked right through the wall. Do you remember that? And stood in their presence. Do you know that flesh and blood can't do that? Let's try it. Brother Baker, I want you to run to that wall as fast as you can. All in favor? <laughs> flesh and blood can't do it something had happened. Then he said to Thomas, go ahead and touch my hands and put your hand in my side. Now wait a minute. He just said hours earlier, I can't, don't touch me because I haven't, to now he's saying go ahead and touch me. What happened? He made a trip to the Father and he received a glorified body that could walk through walls and just appear out of thin air. That's traveling. That's quick. And so the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished that. And so we understand the scripture. He says, a little while you won't see me, but then in a little while you will. I'll listen to my Father. It's a promise of his resurrection. It was a promise that, yes, I'm going to die, and yes, I'll be buried in the grave, but I'm coming again. I'll return. Hold on. And friend, i got to be honest with you. When I look at this chapter, I feel like I'm in that same gap of history that the disciples felt like when Christ was in the grave. Christ was in the grave and they weren't going to see him for a few days, but yes, they would see him again. And here I am looking back at history and saying, Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives and he ascended up to his father, but hey, I'm going to see him again. He's coming. Boy, what a time to live. We sang that song this morning, Jesus is coming again. I like how the songwriter John Peterson starts that all out. Marvelous message we bring. Glorious carol we sing. Wonderful words of the king. Jesus is coming again. Glory. We have the promise. I got to tell you nothing gets me more excited than hearing a song like His blood was precious blood. I like I, I don't I don't care if it's resurrection Sunday or not. I think we ought to sing every week up from the grave he arose. Man, that that what a great song. I I love it when the men get their deep bass voices mainly cuz I get jealous. But I like that. Up from the grave he arose. Boy, chills up my spine to think that Christ arose from the grave. I want you to notice, first of all, it was a source of their hope. It's a source of their hope. Read with me, if you will, down near the end of the passage. In verse 19, now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves? Of that I said, a little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. What was the source of hope? That Jesus rose from the dead. Do you know that the Bible says... In Philippians, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Do you know why I have hope in the resurrection one day? Because Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, if He can do it, He can raise me from the dead. If He can walk out of a grave, then then certainly He can call me forth from the dead. We have hope because Christ arose. Listen, I tell you what. I, I sometimes we're we're so feeble and we're and we're so weak, and I and I gotta be honest. I fall into this all the time. I get discouraged and get upset about something, and I get thinking, "Lord, well, why is this happening?" And I, I look back, and, I, and he just reminds me, "Hey, don't forget, you serve a risen Savior. He arose from the grave. You got nothing to hang your head about. Christ has power over death. You don't think he can take care of your little problem? The resurrection is the hope." that we have. The promise of Christ's resurrection is not just the source of hope, but the scripture says very plainly, is the source of our joy. The Bible says your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Look at verse 22. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. There's an old song I, I really like. I haven't heard it in a long time. It says this, the world may strip me of my freedom and bind me with their chains. Health may leave my body and be replaced with pain. They can come and take my treasure and cause my poverty, but they can't take it all away from me. They'll never throw away the rock on which I stand. They can't remove the cornerstone and cast it in the sea, for I'm sheltered in the arms of God, guided by the unseen hand. No, they can't take it all away from me. Friend, I I know that there's people in this church that maybe some of you are millionaires and others are scraping to get by. But I'm going to tell you this, you both have riches in Christ Jesus. It makes no difference how much money you have in the bank. Some live in big houses. Some are struggling to find a place to live. I'm going to tell you this. They can't take everything away from you. Some of you are healthy and in the prime of life, and others are struggling with your health, and you're sick, and and the devil is constantly trying to discourage you. Friends, let me tell you this. We have joy because of Christ's resurrection. Nobody can take that from you. Nobody. I want you to see the third promise today. We have the promise of Christ's spirit, the promise of Christ's resurrection. I want you to see thirdly, the power of Christ's name. The power of Christ's name. Look at verse 23. The Bible says, And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father at that day. You shall ask in my name, and I shall, not, I shall say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. Notice the power of bearing Christ's name. Do you know that when you became a child of God, you became a Christian? That is not a title we ought to take lightly. By the way, that is not a title that Christians have named themselves. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17 that they were called Christians first in Antioch. The world looked at them and they said there's something different about them. They've been with Jesus and they're followers of Jesus. We'll call them Christians. Friends, we have taken the name of Christ. The Bible says we are the bride of Christ. We just had a bride and groom return from their honeymoon. Cindy works in our class and In Sunday school, we worked together, and and so I, I had to introduce her to the kids again. I said, now this was Miss Fett, but now it's Mrs. Judge. And They're looking at her because we have the other Mrs. Judge working in there too. That gets confusing. And so she said, well, you can call me Miss Cindy. We had to try to figure out how to have two Mrs. Judges. But I tried to teach the kids, listen, now it's not Miss Fett now. It's Mrs. Judge. The name has changed. Listen, if we're the bride of Christ, that means we got a new name, we are now his, we belong to him. We represent Jesus Christ. And so we have to understand the, the power that comes with our name. I want you to notice that by having the name of Christ, we see that Christ is our authority. Christ, you know you can do nothing in your name but in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We have a, there's authority in that name. The Bible says in verse 23, and in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I send you. Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. I can't go to God by myself. The Old Testament is instructive for us. In order to go to God, they had to go through the high priest They would bring their sacrifices for atonement and they would bring them to the high priest and he would go into the holy of holies and he would meet with God. They would burn incense as a picture of their prayers going to God. But Jesus Christ died on the cross and that wall of partition was torn from the top to the bottom and now I can go boldly into the throne of grace, not on my authority, not because I'm Alfieri, but because Jesus Christ has washed me in his blood and I'm covered in his righteousness and I can stand before God because of what Christ did. That's the power of Christ's name. His name gives authority. It opens doors. Verse 26 says, At that day you shall ask in my name, and I, shall not, and, I shall, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. I want you to notice, secondly, Christ is our authority, but Christ is also our advocate. Look what it says in verse 26 again. At that day you shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. I, I believe with all my heart, that Christ has a play on words here. We've seen Christ use that before. The Bible talks about Peter making the great confession, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, thou art Peter, Cephas, a small rock. And upon this rock I will build my church. Talking about a big rock, the truth of God's word. Christ has used these types of things before. Because he says to him, and it took me a while to wrap my head around it, but read it. At that day, ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. In other words, he's saying, there's going to come a time you're going to be praying, and I'm not going to come to you anymore. I'm not going to come up beside you, Peter, and say, listen, I'll talk to the Father for you. What he's saying is you have authority to go in the name of Jesus to the Father boldly. But you know what other scripture tells me? And we have to compare scripture with scripture to make sure we're getting this right. I believe that Christ is is, is being facetious or having a play on words to try to challenge their thinking. He wants them to know they can go boldly to the throne room of grace. But that does not mean that Christ ever stopped being my advocate. The Bible says he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for me. He's praying for us. And if, if anything, this reminds me that he's my advocate. Christ, in the power of his name, we see his. Christ brings authority. He's Christ our advocate. But I want you to see once again that He is Christ our advantage. Look at verse 27. For the Father Himself loveth you because ye have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. Now listen God loves us because we've loved Christ. There's going to be a whole lot of people that will stand before God one day and they'll say, Have I not prophesied in thy name? Have I not cast out devils in thy name? And he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You see, those are works. That's vain religion. But to have the knowledge of God and the presence of God in our lives comes through Jesus Christ. He is the way. The truth and the life. What an advantage we have by knowing Christ because God knows us. The clerks sing a great song, and the chorus is, I know him. Yes, I know him. But best of all, he knows me. What a wonderful thing. There's a lot of people that have a knowledge of God, but they don't have a heart knowledge of God. They can know a lot about God. They can know the Bible. They can quote scripture. But they're about as saved as that front pew right there. They don't have a knowledge, or God doesn't have a knowledge of them. Because they've never come through Jesus Christ. Christ gives us that great advantage. There is power in the name of Christ. And I want you to see the fourth and final promise we see. We see the protection of Christ's victory. The protection of Christ's victory. Look at verse 33 with me. These things I have spoken unto you that you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Boy, you know, the disciples were struggling, weren't they? Jesus recognized the sorrow in their heart. Because Christ told them of rejection, persecution, tribulation, hatred, rejection being dragged out of the synagogues and being killed for his namesake and their sorrow had filled their heart and so he gave them four promises. First, the presence of Christ's spirit Second, the promise of Christ's resurrection. Thirdly, the power of Christ's name. And lastly, this morning, the protection of Christ's victory. He reminds us that, hey, I know the world will give you tribulation. I know the world's a difficult place to live. I know you're just a pilgrim and just passing through. But let me tell you this, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I have overcome. What a wonderful promise to know. Listen, when you are feeling like you're at a disadvantage and you feel like the whole world's against you, Go to the one that knows. Go to the one that can have the victory. Go to the one who's overcome the world. I don't know if you've seen it yet. We, I'm very careful about what I'll recommend or what I'll say from the pulpit, especially about movies and such, but I watched that movie, The War Room. Has anybody seen that? The War Room is, is a movie about Prayer. And this little old lady has a little closet and she calls it her war room. She goes in there and she fights battles. She gets on her face before God and she pleads and she prays and she sees victory after victory come because she's fought the right kind of war. The Bible says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, it's a spiritual battle that we're engaged in. And boy, I got to tell you, I, I. if I, Just as an aside, I got excited when, when she heard about a marriage being put back together because God had intervened through prayer. She, she, I mean, man, I'm telling you, I, I wish she was a Baptist. I don't know what she is. But man, she got excited. and She'd be shouting in her, all oh, by her. She didn't care who watched. Nobody was around. She just got excited because God was working. But I liked it. The part in particular I'm thinking about is when the lady that was struggling with her marriage clued in. She was in her closet. She cleaned out a closet and she got in there and she was reading her Bible and she was putting scriptures on the wall. She had prayer requests listed on the wall. And after doing this for a few weeks, something clued in in her heart. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Sounds a lot like I have overcome the world. And she got out of that prayer closet and she went down into her living room and she said, listen devil, you've ruled this house for too long. This house now belongs to Jesus Christ. You go back to hell where you came from. Jesus Christ is my Lord and he's going to rule this house. Man, I like that. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Listen, Christ has already had the victory. The devil lost 2,000 years ago. He's finished. He's finished. I saw a bumper sticker one time. Listen, you don't don't get a lot of good theology off a bumper sticker. I'll just tell you that. But I liked what it said: When the devil reminds you of, of your past, remind him of his future. Hey, he's going to hell. He's going to burn in the lake of fire. Listen, Jesus is Lord of our life. And he has already had the victory over the devil. Will you trust him? That's how Jesus closed... This service or this sermon with his disciples. The last thing he said, he said, First of all, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Second of all, I'm going to give you the promise of my return. I'm going to come in a resurrection here in a few days. You won't see me for a while, but you'll see me again. Thirdly, I want you to understand the power of my name as you go to the Father, it's opened up a door for you. But fourthly, I want you to know this I have overcome the world. Those are some pretty good promises. Do you know, I think if we would cling to those four right there, all the other ones would take care of themselves. We would realize all the rest by just learning to trust that God knows best. Let's pray this morning. Father, help us, Lord, to understand your word. Speak to our hearts what wonderful promises Christ left with his disciples. In the next chapter, he'll go to prayer. He'll pray for his disciples. He'll pray for us in effect. For those children that belong to him. This is really the last sermon. This side of the grave we'll have from Christ. Before he would die. And he wanted to encourage us with some things. So I pray that you'd help us with it today. Speak to our hearts we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. Maybe God is stirring your heart. Our faith gets tried. We get discouraged. We need to stop looking to man and start looking to Christ. Look at these wonderful promises that he's given us. Friend, do you have the Holy Spirit of God? Shout and rejoice. Do you have the promise of Christ's resurrection? Thank God for it. Praise him today. If Christ were not risen, we wouldn't even be here today there'd be no point in gathering and, but we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ in the finished work of Calvary but he sealed it all when he arose from the grave do you understand the power of Christ's name when you come to God you understand you must come clothed in the righteousness of Christ covered by his blood and praying in his name that's where the power is and you understand that Christ has already won the victory would you trust him today maybe there's one here today say preacher I'm not sure I'm saved if I were to die today I don't know where I'd spend eternity heaven or hell I just don't know would you pray for me I, I want to understand and I want to know what it's like to have those promises and to know God like that but we must come through Jesus Christ he paved the way for your salvation he paid the price for your sin is so one? Say, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you pray for me? Just slip up your hand. I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. <laughs> Is there one?